Remember over in Revelation, when God in chapter 7 and, and chapter 9, when judgment is going to be unleashed, he seals his bondservants. In fact, in chapter 7, he seals a particular group of people, 12,000 people from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. 144,000 Jewish people are sealed. They're marked with the seal of the living God, it says, on their forehead. And it's in awful contrast to the mark of the beast that's going to go on in the Great Tribulation. But God marks His own out, and they are sealed for protection. And they're protected from the very judgment of God. It's a picture in the end days of what all God's children enjoy today. You are sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, The Spirit Who Sealed Us. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. No one is saved without believing. No one is saved by merely hearing in that lesser sense that I spoke of. Now let me point something out here. The Ephesians heard and believed simultaneously. When you really hear, you believe. Uh, and I think we understand that intuitively. You may be here for years. Maybe you were a neglectful hearer. But finally, the Holy Spirit penetrated your heart, and you heard, and you believed. But it's certainly possible to hear and not probably. You know, the, the word they heard, if, uh, Hebrews 4 Verse 2 says, the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. No, hearing is believing here in Ephesians 13. Verse 13, to believe in Christ, to believe the gospel, having also believed. When you really heard it, you believed it. And it wasn't an intellectual assent. It wasn't saying... There must be a designer. It wasn't just saying there's a God. The demons know there's a God and they shudder and they are not benefited by that knowledge that there's a God. That's a step in the right direction, I suppose, if you're coming from the folly of trying to pretend there is no creator. But to realize there's a God, that's not what we're talking about when we say believe. To believe in Christ is to depend upon him. It's to rely upon him. When you hear the gospel and you trust the good news of Christ, you believe what he did. It's an act of your will to personally put your case in his hands to trust, rely upon, depend upon him. When you believe in him for your personal salvation, you've heard the gospel. You've believed. And thirdly, notice the third verb. You're sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That which God had planned from all eternity becomes real in your experience the moment you depend upon, believe in Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. And the Holy Spirit seals you. The Holy Spirit of promise seals you into the body of Christ. And no one who has believed in Christ is not sealed. 
Just as no one can be in Christ without hearing and believing, so no one in Christ can be in Christ without being sealed. This speaks of ownership, and it speaks of protection and security. Remember over in Revelation, when God in chapter 7 and and chapter 9, when judgment is going to be unleashed, he seals his bondservants. In fact, in chapter 7, he seals a particular group of people, 12,000 people from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. 144,000 Jewish people are sealed. They're marked with the seal of the living God, it says, on their forehead. And it's in awful contrast to the mark of the beast that's going to go on in the Great Tribulation. But God marks his own out, and they are sealed for protection, and they're protected from the very judgment of God. It's a picture. It's a picture in the end days of what all God's children enjoy today. You are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Uh, Remember Jesus, when he left, he said, I'm going to ask the Father, and he'll give you another one, another helper just like me. And the term he used was very specific. I'm going to give you another, not like a different kind, but the same. Just like me, I'm leaving. The Father will give you another one. God the Son left. God the Spirit came, and he will be with you forever. Look over at chapter 4, verse uh, verse 30. The security of this, you're marked out as God's. He protects you. Remember, some of you don't remember because it's kind of getting hazy in our mind almost. It's so, it happened so long ago. But remember, I think it was, wasn't it Tylenol that the guy poisoned? And after that, some of you, many of you perhaps wonder, why do we have all these little seals on all the aspirins and pills and stuff? Because they used to just come in a bottle you could open up. And some evil person swapped in some poison into one right over the counter. And it became kind of a fad there for a while. And so all of a sudden, companies had to start sealing just about everything. And today, we're, we, it's just part of our lifestyle. We realize, and if, it's not, if the seal's broken, don't use it. Because the seal picture's protection until you get it home into your safety. You open the seal, and it's yours. Uh, that's the way it is. A seal... It's, it's intuitive to understand that. When they said, oh, we're worried that they might come and steal that body away, Pilate said, go. Have, you've got a guard. Seal it. And they went and sealed the tomb so that no one could get in there. Of course, it's folly to seal Christ into the grave. And there was no protection, no matter how much might the Roman soldiers might have in that kind of a situation. But the seal of God protects Look at chapter 4, verse 30. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is the opposite logic of many Christians. Read that verse again. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What grieves the Holy Spirit? What grieves the... Holy Spirit, anything unholy, that's what, sin. Don't sin because 
You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until he gets you home. Do you see the logic of that? It's the opposite of the way man thinks. Man would say, don't you sin lest you somehow lose your salvation. And there's preachers who preach that. And there's Christians who believe that. And there's Christians who maybe wouldn't sign that in a doctrinal statement, but kind of live that way as if, you know, the, the best motivation, like to keep your kids on the straight and narrow, is to warn them about, you know, God dropping them over the edge or something. And the Bible comes at it the opposite way. Don't grieve God. He's sealed you till the day of redemption. The security of the believer sealed into the body of Christ until that day when he finishes the work he's begun, that's the basis for a holy life. And that's really what we're going to see in Ephesians. The whole half, second half of Ephesians flows from this first half. And so all the exhortations to live a holy life, to live a fruitful life, to live in our relationships the way we ought to flow from the wealth we have in Christ, not in order to attain that wealth. And uh, the sealing ministry of the Spirit is used as a motivation to keep uh, living in accordance to how we already are. We are sealed in Him. I love that little verse. In fact, it says it so well. Uh, you know, in our experience, we don't necessarily know uh, what's going on in other people's lives. And Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he says, you know, uh, there's some guys that have moved outside the whole faith, and they're upsetting the faith of some. He said, and he gives him warning, but he says, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal, having this seal, 2 Timothy 2.19. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. But this matter of being sealed in Christ is a truth that nobody can break in and snatch you. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. My Father and I are one. There is security in this. And notice, look at the text again. This sealing, verse 13, is something that has been accomplished in Christ. It's not a future experience. If you attain to some level of Christianity, this is something true of every believer at the point of belief. And then he further expands it, verse 14. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance. This term pledge is an economic term. It's a term for payment or down payment or earnest money. And it was used in a technical sense and it obligated the one who had made the contract. And so God says the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a, a pledge. How do I know God's going to finish what he started? How do I know that he will not only call me out from all eternity and die for me, but he's going to get me safely home? He left earnest money. He left enough to be sure that he'll be back. You know, that's how we do it. Earnest money can't be $20. It's got to be enough to seal the deal, so to speak. But God didn't leave bunch of money. He left 
himself. When Christ left and went to heaven, he said, I'll be back. And he left. He said, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will send you. Wait here. And ten days later, the Holy Spirit came from the Father, and he is with us forever. He's sealed us until the day of redemption. Now that's bulletproofing your future in the real sense. And, you know, they were fussing and worrying. And I thought about Jesus' words about how money and stuff just makes you worry because on the radio program, that's what they kept worrying about. You, oh, that's not bulletproof. What you've got to do, you're going to need an instrument of, you know, and legalese started talking about how what you need is this and that. Oh, now that's a complicated situation. Always trying to secure things. Man wants to secure things, don't we? We want it in writing. And it's wise. I'm not against wills, and, and uh, he was. I forget what he wanted you to do on that program, but, you know, get it, that's fine. But what's really important is that that's what God put in writing. And he gave us an inheritance which is unshakable and imperishable and will not be defiled, First Peter says. It's guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who went to glory and it's guaranteed by the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit who will be with us until the day of redemption. And this is a pledge. This is an earnest money you can really bank on. Turn, it's so practical. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. You know, you think about what we like in writing. Yesterday I had to go over to one of those home uh, improvement places, and I, and I purchased something there, and then I, they said, when it comes in, we'll phone you. They never phoned me, and I forgot. And I thought, oh, boy, it's been a couple of months. And I never find my receipts. Do you? <laughs> my wife, she can find them no matter what. I say, do you have the, of course she has the receipt. She just pulls it out, and I think, how does she do that? Because when I go looking for mine, they're everywhere. They can be in Ephesians. They can be, you know, I find them everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. You look at my office and you think, what's this doing next to that? I don't know. But I found the receipt yesterday. And so I went into that place like I owned the world because I had paper on it, you know. <laughs> and I got what I wanted and I didn't have to pay. I argued for 20 minutes, but no, I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I was empowered. I had that receipt and I just went in and they, oh, Mr. Gilchrist. They knew my name. They looked it up, you know, it just the receipt just bingo. Anyway, <laughs> Second Corinthians, in, it's so practical to realize what this means for your life because we, we've got God's word on it. We've got the receipt, if you will. I hate to cheapen it by using that language. But we've got the written statement that we have the Holy Spirit. You say, how can I know I have the Holy Spirit as my pledge? Don't be go looking for some emotion or some experience, take God's word on it. You see, we live by God's word, and our outward circumstances don't always verify it. Remember in 2 and I can't look at every verse, but it is verse 16 of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, therefore we don't lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our body is just like the non-Christian's body. <laughs> It's decaying. It's going down. Sin seems to reign. And in fact, unbelief scoffs at our pie-in-the-sky faith. 
Always living for another world. Why don't you live for the here and now? What really counts? What's real? But we know different. We've got God's word on it. That we have all eternity to spend with Him. But in the reality of it, verse 16, our outer man is decaying. I mean, that's just the way it is. And we live on promises. We live on promises, the promises of God. The promises of God. And we can know, I'll glance down to chapter 5, verse 6 here. You can read the whole section and enjoy it. But verse 6, therefore, always being of good courage and knowing that while at, at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. As long as I'm in this body, I'm absent from the Lord. I can know that because I've got God's written word on it. The Holy Spirit penned this book. I've got the truth on it. I can know that. And hence... We walk by faith, verse 7, not by sight. And we're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. We can walk by faith, and we do. But in the meantime, look back at verse 5. Now, he who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. What was it that came over you when you became a Christian? And you were maybe one like many who just mocked the idea of living for heavenly things. Now, you know that to be in this body is to be absent from the Lord, but to be absent from this body is to be at home with the Lord, and you're living that way. What came over you? I'll tell you what came over you, the Holy Spirit. He opened your eyes, you heard, you believed, you were sealed, and He's been given, verse 5, as a pledge of our inheritance, as a down payment, same term. And Paul underlines this, and hence, our goal in life, look at verse 9, therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, whether we're in this body or at home, to be pleasing to the Lord, to be pleasing to Him. That's the Christian life. And, you know, Paul understood this. I think he wrote about it more perhaps in 2 Corinthians than any other place because he went through it so much in this book. Look back at chapter 1, and you'll see it in brief, almost in shorthand in chapter 1. And these, by the way, are the three occurrences in the New Testament of this great term, our pledge is the Holy Spirit, our earnest money, our down payment that He's given us. And so chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, he says, As many as may be the promises of God in him, there yes. Wherefore also by him is our amen to the glory of God through us. We live by the promises of God. Now he who established us is with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Why is it that a Christian doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? How is it that the Christian feasts on this word of truth? Because the spirit of truth resides within us. He's given us a pledge. He's sealed us into the body of Christ. And we live to please Him. We live confident that though our body's decaying like everybody else's, that we have financial reversals just like everybody else, that we aren't spared the, the problems of this life caused by sin in this world, we're looking forward to our eternal destiny because we have the pledge. We have 
the Holy Spirit. And now look back at our text in conclusion and just enjoy it. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. God didn't spare his own son. We've been redeemed by his blood. He's invested everything he has in you, Christian. You can be sure that he's going to bring it to completion. The day of redemption. In the past, Christ died and redeemed us. But the Bible speaks of that future day of redemption that the whole creation is groaning for, Romans 8. And we're waiting for that day. And in the meantime, we know it's certain because he's given us the pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Oh, this is revelation. I could never tell you this on my own authority. No group of men or committee of scholars could ever come to this. This is the mystery of his purpose from all eternity that he has made known. It's not mysterious. He has revealed it to us. And the Father chose us, the Son redeems us, and the Spirit has sealed us until the day of redemption. Enjoy him and live for him this day. Father, we thank you. It seems uh, as we look at a, a whole sentence of, of truth here, this long paragraph, really, that just uh, is loaded with your grace, all of it for us in Christ. We praise you and thank you. And I thank you that you not only did it, but you opened our eyes, that your Holy Spirit convicted us of our need. And we heard and believed and were saved. And Lord, I pray that we would hold forth the word of truth, the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation to this generation, that we might be useful to your Holy Spirit in drawing others to see the beauty of Christ, to come, to believe, to rely upon him, to depend upon him and to be sealed in Him with the Comforter, the Holy Spirit of promise, the pledge of our inheritance. We praise you for this and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Spirit Who Sealed Us, a message from our study of the book of Ephesians. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. If you've ever wanted Pastor Scott's sermon library in the palm of your hand, we have a new app available called the Abide app. It's available in both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. 
Along with the sermon library, you'll also find Scott's written publications, biblical seminars on a variety of subjects, daily devotional videos, this radio program, and the Abide Method, a monthly Bible reading and writing plan developed by Scott to give you the opportunity to read and write out Scripture. These resources all come free within the app, so if you're looking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please consider downloading the Abide app in either the Apple or Google App Stores. We'd love to get this valuable resource into your hands. We'd like to remind you that Abide in the Word only remains on this station through the generous contributions of listeners like you. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us in this Bible teaching ministry? We'd love to have you join us. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. When we see God at work, we should give praise and thanks to God, and we should pray. I would just almost parenthetically note here that Paul said, I don't cease praying for you. I don't cease giving thanks for you. When he heard what? A good report. A good report. Don't wait till you hear disaster to begin praying. Don't merely look around and pray for the hard cases that aren't doing well. I believe we should pray for anyone the Lord brings to mind. I mean, I'm not saying limit your prayers, but the emphasis of the New Testament is not, oh, we've really got to pray for the church at Ephesus. It's going downhill. The emphasis of the New Testament is, I pray for that church at Ephesus. God is doing some great things. And I'm afraid too much of our modern prayer life is driven by disaster. And if you've got some kids that are doing well, pray for them. If you've got some spiritual kids that are doing well, pray for them. Don't wait till they're wandering off here or there. Pray now. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of Ephesians. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, What We Should Pray For. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.